0: Hello everybody and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Jason Schulman. We've got a great show for you today. My guest is Elon Barron, who teaches at Durham University, here to talk about his new book, Obligation in Exile The Jewish Diaspora, Israel and Critique, published this year by Edinburgh University Press. Elon, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies.
1: Hi, thank you very much for having me.
0: Well it's great to have you. So, Elon, you write in international political theory. Uh, tell us what is political obligation?
1: Right. So political obligation is the term used by political theorists to explain the general problem or the general question of why anybody would obey the law or obey the authority or the institutions of the state. And it generally pertains exclusively to citizens or permanent
0: residents. And and political obligation goes beyond just loyalty. Is that right?
1: Well, the political... the literature on political obligation is concerned with the question, why would anybody obey the law or why would anybody obey the institutions of the state? And the questions of loyalty can figure into it. It's it's a very particular problem that you, the, the term refers to a very particular problem that you would probably only come across if you're reading political theory of political obligation. More generally, it pertains to the relationship that individuals have to their state.
0: Okay, so- Political obligation is the idea that uh, individuals should obey the laws set by the institutions of that state. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, it explores the, that question, that normative question, why would you or why should you?
0: Okay. And what have scholars written about political obligation and what issue until now have they not addressed that you are interested in? Right.
1: So that that's a very good question because actually it, it – it, it gets to the heart of what part of what I was trying to do in the book. There's a lot of literature on political obligation. It's very It's very, very extensive, and it ranges from theoretical literature that's concerned about the law to social contract literature to uh, uh, questions over various forms of individual state relations and, and how you'd explain that. What the political obli- sorry, what the political obligation literature does not do, is address questions of an, of an international or transnational nature so what i mean by that is political obligation is always as a term is always restricted by the relationship that individuals will have to their state it's not concerned with the relationships that people communities or individuals will have to another political community that is not their state so say in, in the case that i'm concerned with two diaspora jews having a political relationship to israel
0: uh-huh. So, so very generally, that is identity, right? That's the that's the missing piece for me. Yes,
1: theories uh, theories of political obligation don't say very much about identity. They generally take identity for granted and assume it under the the general category of membership, usually citizenship. Uh, all all there, there's variations of that, but yeah, they, there isn't a lot about identity in in the literature on political obligation.
0: And so the discussion until now about political obligation can't really account for Jewish diaspora identity politics. Is that right?
1: It can't account for it because it's not designed to account for it. And that's and see what part of what part of what I was trying to do in the book is uh, uh, an accident to be. It's a it's a product of being interested in a particular form of literature, the literature on obligation and ethics and and actually war is where I started. And finding uh, uh, that the literature didn't really take identity seriously and then seeing that from my own experience that it seemed pretty obvious that there was an obligation type of relationship that characterized the Jewish diaspora's relationship with Israel. So what I thought was, well, why can't the political obligation literature help explain this? You know, it seems to be a, a relationship that is characterized by both politics and obligation. And that's where the I guess that's where I come in with with the using the the, the word obligation and engaging with some
0: of that literature. Mm-hmm. So what I think you're saying is, uh, you know, you have more than half of world Jewry living across the globe. Uh, you know, many of them don't speak Hebrew. What political theoretical construct tells us that they should care about Israel? Is that right? Yes, that's it's. There's two
1: there's two questions here. One question is how do we ex- how do we explain this relationship? What what are the the features, if you will, that define the relationship between uh, diaspora Jews and Israel? And then the second question is the ought. So what what should diaspora Jews feel, do, etc. in insofar in as Israel is concerned? You know what what positions should diaspora Jews hold? What should they do? What should they believe? You know those sorts of questions. So there's There is what I I was what I wanted to do in in this book was to uh, separate those two questions. On the one hand, I want to have a better understanding of it. And there's uh, autobiographical reasons for this, which we can get into if you like. They're about trying to explain the character of the relationship. And then there's the normative question.
0: Okay. yeah, you're very upfront uh, about your personal journey that led to write the book. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, so that that I most of my research has always been influenced, if not all of my research has always been has always been influenced by questions of a very personal nature in some form or another, and this book is, I guess, the most explicit uh, text in which I, I I guess I reveal those those influences. There's there's two there's two related again two related things I want to do in this. One is a is a methodological discussion about recognizing the significance of, of a reflexive research project where you're, you're highlighting your own, your own role, your own uh, you know, how, how, who you are shapes your research project and how through the process of the, of the research project that then comes to, you can then use that product, that, that research as a kind of reflective exercise. So that, that's, that's part of what's going on there. The other part is just very much a personal journey that having grown up on the, in, in the West coast of Canada and attended, uh, attended a, a Zionist, a labor Zionist summer camp run by having a drawer. Israel is always very, very central for me in a variety of a variety of ways to the camp and also through family connections and friends and, uh, to an extent through the, the Jewish community mean, the synagogue that I, that I attended when I attended, you would have on, um, I guess, up in the Bima, you would have, or, no, to the right and left of the Bima, there would be a Canadian flag and an Israeli flag. Israel was always very central. And there was always the, the expectation that you would have to have a relationship with Israel and that the relationship was a positive one. And positive could be support, it could be critical support, it could vary, but it was just assumed. And over time, the more that I... Read and studied and thought about Zionism and Israeli history and Israeli politics, the less satisfied I became with that that assumption that somehow, just by being Jewish, you're expected to hold a, a positive relation with Israel, so I wanted to explore that and and eventually that led to that led to this book.
0: Mhm, okay, so let's get into the chapters a little bit. Chapter one begins with the Damascus affair. Uh, what was that, and why is it important to your story?
1: Right so the Damascus affair was a uh, a case in 1840 which involved a a Christian um it was a blood libel case it's the it's it, it, it's it's somewhat complicated but the short of it is that you had a blood libel accusation directed towards the Jewish community in Damascus and the at the time in France and to a I guess a, a lesser extent in in the UK, in, in in England, you had a growing sense of Jewish concern for Jews in other countries. So the Damascus, what happened to the Damascus affair was you have this blood libel accusation being targeted against the Jewish community in Damascus, and Jews in in France and England become involved to try to help their Jewish. Uh, I guess they're, I don't know, Jewish brethren, I guess. They're Jewish brethren in, in Damascus. They, they, they actually, there's a a mission is sent out there, uh, and they, they try to help their, help their fellow Jews in Damascus. And why, why it's significant, why it's significant for me is because it demonstrates a initial, uh, and very public attempt by the Jews in one country to influence the politics of another country for the sake of their fellow Jews there, that their Jews are under attack and we need to help them. And this used to be called Jewish internationalism. And uh, it's interesting because it's a precursor to the kind of political relationships that I think many Jews have today with with Israel and also to a lesser extent, uh, well, maybe not always to a lesser extent, but also with the Jews in, in other countries that we have uh, a bond we're part of the same people and if they're in trouble we should help them uh, but what interests me about this case is was its very explicit political character
0: mhm and so this is is this an early yeah, example yeah, of trans there. okay is this an early example of transnational political obligation
1: i would say so i think it is the the term at the time was international is, or uh the term that we would use more generally is internationalism jewish internationalism but i think it is a, it is exactly the kind of transnational political obligation that we we that i think we see today with israel the, it, well, let me rephrase that it's it's not necessarily the, one of the what was one of the key features of that particular example and one of the features that characterized jewish internationalism in the the 19th century was a sense of European superiority that, you know, we had the, well, we, the the, the Jews of Western Europe were privileged to a, a form of Western government and, and a form of Western sensibility, a kind of enlightenment rationality that the Jews in other countries didn't have. And because of that, we could help them. That, that meant that sentiment is uh, no longer uh, relevant, I think for diaspora relations. But outside of that, I think that there's, there is something very similar that you have, a you know, there's a relationship that you have with your Jews in another country. And the relationship is uh, or the relationship can be acted upon in political ways where you're you're trying to, to help them or support them as as you are able to.
0: Mm-hmm. OK, so you say uh, the main flashpoints of the Israel diaspora relationship pertain to security, political practice and identity. What do you mean by those?
1: I'm sorry. The, the main flashpoint
0: of the Israel diaspora relationship or debate pertains yes. to security, political practice, and identity. What do you mean by those? Yes,
1: the main flashpoints. Uh, so the the main flash the, these pertain. If you think about debate over Israel, and you don't have to think about this in an academic context. If you just think about it. What happens say over Shabbat dinner or at shul, and you think about the the debates that go on and what you can say and what you can't say and how emotional it gets. I I identify that this list of, of key flashpoints, where right, security being obviously one of them, and the, part of the question becomes why why you know why is it so difficult to have a a conversation on on these on these topics. Why is it so difficult to have a conversation about about Israel? And the late David Torisky said, and I, I quote him in the book, how we tend to get hysterical uh, about Israel. And I think that he's right that there's there's uh, it's it's very it can be very difficult to to have a conversation about what's going on in Israel. And I think it's worth asking ourselves why that is the case. And I think that the, if we think about what's going on in terms of an obligation, it, at least for me, it helps a bit in trying to clear, clear out what's going on, why, it's, why, it's such, uh, uh, why these topics are such flashpoints for debate and why, why it can be so difficult to have a conversation about, about Israel and about what goes on there. And, and then obviously the question becomes, so what do we do? I mean, I was in Israel over the summer, now, you know, I was there when you, when there was the arson attack and murdered the Palestinian family and when, and when, uh, the, the, the student was stabbed in the, in, in, in the gay pride, uh, parade in, in Jerusalem. I wasn't at, obviously I wasn't at both of those events, but I was in Jerusalem at the time. And I remember following very closely the, the reactions. And one of the, there was a, a one of the, the, the reactions that I, that I heard from a few different quarters outside of israel and also within israel was how you know we may be there may be extremist jews who are committing acts of of murder in this case arson uh and and murder but we don't you know we don't we you know we don't name our streets after after murderers and and it became a a very very there was a lot of uh i'm trying to have the best way to put it there was an effort to mitigate any sort of responsibility that this was awful. And then there'd have to be a, but there's always a, but. And I think it's, it's important that we ask why we feel the need to, to add that caveat. So the book is trying to, what I want to do in this book is, is enable people to, to think through the relationship differently so that we can ask those difficult questions and, and then see where those conversations take us.
0: Is the difficulty of having those conversations a recent phenomenon? Meaning, was there ever a time where it was possible to have these difficult conversations?
1: Well, I think the conversations have always been there. And there's been a, I think you see certainly with historical work, there's been some recent books that look at the writings of Simon Ravidovich, where you do see past debates. And of course, there's uh, Hannah Arendt's uh, writings or Jewish writings, and there's uh, there's no shortage of of debate. It's more the character of it that I find peculiar, and also the sense that the debates haven't changed very much. We're still having the same conversation, right? But the, once Israel became a, a de facto reality, it 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 in a sense precluded the opportunity for thinking differently about how, as Jews, we should we should understand our place within uh certain political institutions it just israel changed that conversation and it, it especially changed internationally but it also it also didn't change the way o- over time that we we understood who we who we are you know the it's the usual phrase uh, and a very important one about how israel is incredibly important uh, which I think it is is incredibly important event for the or its creation is an impre- incredibly important event for the Jewish people and the Jewish history, and I think that uh, with you know I'm not questioning that that's that's undoubtedly true, but it also meant that how can you question this right where's the critical debate you have to already start as a as a Zionist in order to start to question or to interrogate the relationship that that the Jews should have with Israel and. Over, you know, sometimes there's more room for debate. Sometimes there's less room for debate, but we haven't moved on. We're still having the same general kind of conversations. And that, I think that's, that, that worries me. Uh, it, it troubles me that I feel we're running around in circles and, uh, the normative discussions, the, the moral discussions about Israel are in their, 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 they're sort of stagnated into a, a, a set of, of very extreme positions where you just have to be kind of un- Israel right or wrong or you end up in some kind of boycott BDS type of alternative or anti-Israel alternative. And, and I don't think either of those polls are especially helpful.
0: Let's move to Chapter 3, which takes us into the empirical section of the book. Uh, tell us about the methods you used. Uh, you did interviews, is that right? And what, what did you find?
1: Yeah, so the interviews took took uh, took place over a few over a few years because uh, you know I was working at uh, um, at the time, so I couldn't just go away and, and do field work over one period of you know over over a month or two. And the the interviews when I started in the interviews, I was asking very much questions about obligation, much like we started our conversation. And as the interviews progressed, I kind of dropped that because the the language of political obligation didn't really seem to. Uh, fit very well with uh, the, the the issues I was interested about. There was a discrepancy, and between the the terms that you'd use as a political theorist and the terms that we would use outside of of academia. So the so that was very interesting initially. Uh, that it, it it highlighted a methodological question about how would you as a political theorist conduct uh, conduct uh, field work and the language you can use. So that that was a uh, that was very interesting for me. What what I did notice in terms of diaspora relations was a set of assumptions that would regularly come up, Um, and there was one one particularly telling instance uh, which isn't in the book, and uh, it was I was about to conduct start one of the interviews and it was it was actually in New York, and the it was not long after there was I forget exactly what happened there was some security. Some security risk. something had just happened, I think, in France or somewhere, I forget. It was quite a few years ago. So there was, I was a little concerned when I was doing the interviews that, okay, let's talk about diaspora relations, that this event in Israel would make it difficult, that it would, shat, Or sorry, this event, the security event in Europe would make it difficult to carry on the conversation, that somehow they'd be suspicious. Here is this guy coming from a, uh, an English university, his, you know, the building where I based, it's, it's called the Al-Qasimi building. You know, who is this guy coming here to talk about about Israel and and I, that's exactly what happened. That in one instance, the the the, interview, the interviewee would say, "Oh yeah, I'm fine. This is fine. I'm you know, very interested to talk about this. You know, no, or you know, because of what happened, we're we're not really concerned about uh, additional security or, or security risks, etc." But then within about 10, 15 minutes of the interview, that concern it, it came, it came up exactly as what I was, as what I felt that, well, because in fact, there has been this issue in another country, we you know we are on a heightened level of alert. What I found was very interesting was there's both the, the, the decision, the conscious decision to uh, dismiss or deny how you know attacks on, on Jews in another country in another country increases our sense of insecurity, that we want to deny that, while simultaneously acting as if that is the case. And that paradox, I think, is incredibly powerful for how, as diaspora Jews, we understand our relationship with other Jewish communities and with Israel. And it also gets to, I think, the hardest question, which came up uh, through in pretty much every interview, which is, what if Israel is actually making Jews less secure? what if what's going on in israel is raising jewish insecurity and is increasing anxiety and i was very privileged that in all the interviews i had we were able to to talk about that question um it's it's a very difficult it's a very difficult question to to i think address but it was it was rewarding that uh, I mean, I, I felt I felt very privileged that I could be able to have these conversations with such a range of individuals. I mean, I, the the interviews took place in in Canada in the west coast of Canada, uh, in New York, uh, in in London, and uh, and also in uh, in Israel, and primarily in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. And uh, one of the other interesting interesting things for me when I was conducting the interviews were the interviews I conducted in in Jerusalem and with with diplomats there, and. It, and how aware they were of, of exactly that type of issue. And yet how it doesn't really appear that that awareness is filtering outside of, of, the, of those diplomatic circles. I mean, certainly you won't find Israeli politicians uh, speak in those ways. And you rarely, if ever, find uh, uh, leaders of Jewish communities openly talk about, well, is what's happening in Israel increasing? increasing our sense of anxiety and insecurity and what can we do about that? Uh, Usually, you know, because if you ask that question, you're calling into question how important Israel is supposed to be for, for us as, as a Jewish people.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, let's move to chapter five, which is called obligation and critique. Um, I think your conclusion puts your view of what the book is trying to do most clearly. Um, You say how are we to understand the Jewish diaspora's relationship with Israel when it is no longer appropriate, if it ever was, to presume that to be a good Jew means being a Zionist? What do you mean by yeah. that?
1: So this is the this is part of the the I think the controversy, one you know, of the flashpoints, is the assumption about being jewish and having a having a tie and, and and having a positive relationship with israel and i teach a i teach a course uh, at durham university that's uh based on this book and one of the students in the class was mentioning this how uh this student felt that um the friends the student has uh the jewish friends the student has all felt they had to have a view about israel they had to be very defensive of israel but very that israel is going to support and yet whether or not these these friends had the the necessary background and necessary knowledge to be able to make educated decisions on that was uncertain and uh, I think that there's this there's a pressure certainly I felt it and I've seen it that there's a pressure to to support Israel and that if you don't, you're open to attack and sometimes the attack is brutal it's, it can be very very vicious. there was one of the synagogues I went to when I was doing uh, the last stages of the of the research, they the, some of the congress there told me they they can't talk about Israel. It's they they can't do it. They're worried that they'll be attacked because that's what happens. You get verbally attacked, and that's not unique. I mean, one of the things that came up repeatedly, particularly in in congregations of. Um, I guess, progressive Jews, so not not so much the Orthodox Union UK or, or Orthodox uh, communities in, in North America. So out, outside of those communities is very much a concern that it's really hard to discuss this, that you just expected to support it. And if you're critical of Israel in any way, you're you're opening yourself up to potentially very serious ad hominem attacks where you're, you know, you're self-hating Jew or whatever else. And I think that's a travesty. I'm. You know, morally, I find that very, very painful that we, that that it's even possible to make those arguments. I think that one of the great strengths of the Jewish tradition is to be one of critique and open debate. And if we can't critique and discuss the role of Israel in the construction of contemporary diaspora Jewish identity, if we can't openly discuss that and critique it, I don't think we're being true um, to our tradition. And that's also part of what I'm trying to do in this book is to open up a space for that discussion. So people who feel that they can't speak out because they may be attacked are finding a way to do so. So let's see, do we feel an obligation? Okay. What does that mean? Let's have that conversation about an obligation and, and then let's see what happens. And uh, I mean, I, I hope that, that those conversations are, are able to happen. I hope that, that this book can, can support them in, in some way. Uh, we'll have to see there's, there is one, also really specifically to that sentence, one of the things about this, this book that's, I think, very, uh, I guess it's a bit, it's unusual for me, and it gets back to where we started our conversation about the, how this is a very personal book, is I don't really believe that most social scientific work should just explain. I think that any work that it explains also has a moral inference or a normative dimension to it. Uh, it's a methodological position that uh, I I quite strongly believe, and yet most of this book is actually explanatory. the The normative element doesn't come out very much until the end, and and that normative question will and will be uh, very important for my for my next for my next project, which I which I'm working on now about Jewish about for responsibility about political responsibility, but the the normative question what we ought to do what we should do and how we're going to relate to israel is i think very very important and it is one that we really need to be thinking about uh especially as we're especially today it's i think the situation that uh the the, the politics of what's going on in in israel is becoming increasingly damaging not just in israel but for the dias- for diaspora jews right where it becomes impossible to have a discussion about Israel because you can be accused of being self-hating wherever else. So the 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 quite the role of critique is 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 key here, it's crucial and and how we accept it and how we create open spaces to to enable that to enable those critiques to happen without assuming that by being a Jew you are necessarily uh, a car-carrying Zionist.
0: Right? Well, Ilan, we've taken up a lot of your time. So uh, any parting thoughts you'd like to share and maybe tell us, uh, you told us a little bit, but maybe tell us uh, what, what are you working on next?
1: Right. So I'm i am becoming, uh, I've always been interested in the question of political responsibility. And uh, so I'm i in the process of developing a, a research project to explore the question of political responsibility uh, uh, vis-a-vis diaspora Jewry in Israel. Um it's it's very much a project in in, in its infancy. Uh, I'm still trying to work through exactly what what kind of responsibility were would be relevant in this case. Um, you know, who is the object of responsibility? What where are the the relations of the the political relations in, in this account of responsibility and why? Uh, one of the things I've done to sort of work through this is I've sort of taken a, a side step uh, away from the political theory literature and away from obligation and actually started looking at questions about Jewish food and the Israelization of of, uh, of Jewish food. And uh, I've uh, been thinking quite a lot about how how various cultural products that come out of Israel are becoming increasingly important and in how diaspora Jewish identity is constructed. So that that's, that's what I've been working on the most at the moment. And... Uh, I think then the the next step will be to work through this question of, of international political responsibility. And I'm pretty certain that I will, con- I will like I did in this book, we'll use a lot of Hannah Arendt. I think Arendt is a actually incredibly inspiring thinker when we think through these, these sorts of questions, but also the, 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 the political thought of, of other Jewish emigres, uh, Raymond Aaron and uh, Hans Morgenthau come to mind because of, of my work in international relations and, and international political theory and the significance of those scholars in, uh, in international politics. Uh, and we'll, yeah, we'll see, we'll see where that goes. It's it's going to be much more of a normative, much more of a normative book than than obligation and exile.
0: Great. Well, Elon, I want to thank you for being on the show today. The book is Obligation in Exile: The Jewish Diaspora, Israel, and Critique, published this year by Edinburgh University Press. The author is Elon Barron. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Check us out at newbooksinjewishstudies.com. You can download the podcast on iTunes, check out our Facebook page, and follow us on Twitter, at NewBooksJudaism. Got an idea for a book we should cover? Send us an email, newbooksinjewishstudies at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.